You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. everybody. (laughs) Good to see you. Welcome to Life Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. As you can tell, we're fully entrenched in flannel season here uh, by the band and everything. Happy New Year to you. 2021 probably has never felt better. Wait, has there been a new year that's felt better than this? Probably not. Well, we say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. And we do that by living out four values. And those values are Uh, to practice love with everyone always, to give more than what makes sense, chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. Just a few things for you guys to remember. Uh, We just want you to continue to utilize and take advantage and make a rhythm of using and seeing and praying over our prayer board. It's on lifecommunityprayer.net. You can find a link to it on our actual website as well. Uh, Let's make this uh, a rhythm where we as a community come together, share our concerns, and pray over our concerns. Second thing is uh, we are right there with volleyball. That's going to be starting up here on January 10th. So if you're interested, know that you need to get your team signed up. And again, your skill level matters zero, all right? It doesn't matter at all. You can play this. It's just a great way to meet people. And then the last thing that I, to bring up is that men's breakfast is this coming Saturday. So if you're a guy in here, uh, we are going to have breakfast. Uh, it's a fun time, and we talk a little bit, and we pray. You're welcome to be there. It's here in church in the morning at 8 o'clock. I'd love to see you. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Uh, we are starting a new series that's based upon uh, the Beatitudes of Jesus. And so this is going to be a 10-week journey through the Beatitudes. Now, this term, Beatitudes, is a, is a term that describes the beginning of Jesus' most important or maybe most famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the teaching begins with these eight statements that are pointed at what the blessed life is. Now, this term, beatitude, it derives from the Greek word makarios. And that word carries the ideas of happiness, fortune, and blessing. Happy, fortunate, blessed. These are marks or behaviors of what Jesus says are happy, fortunate people. And this will anchor what is the new kingdom that Jesus is ushering into, a new covenant with God's people. So very, very early in Jesus' ministry, he's on the side of a mountain speaking to an unknowing, unwilling creation, new, radical, different ideas. And so what we want to do today is take our time to establish some building blocks So we have right understanding, right application, and right conviction around these ideas. And so this is the course that we want to set today. We want to spend our time grounding the Beatitudes in its right context and lens. And then we want to have an honest conversation about the Beatitudes and how they are often disregarded and even yet 
redefined. Before we can leap into the Beatitudes promises, we have to evaluate our own functional Beatitudes, like how we live and how we think. And then to close our time, we're going to really get in depth and understand what this word blessed really means. What does Jesus mean when he says the word blessed? So that's our course today. If you're in here and you're a a kid, you guys are incredible. You're doing a great job. Here's what we're going to walk into today. Your sort of whole life, you are going to be brought up in a good way uh, to believe that what will be good for you is to accomplish things, to be a good person, to be successful. Life has a way to push those values on us. But Jesus utterly changed the whole world. He turned everything upside down. And he has a new definition of what it means to really live. And so we're going to look at that today. And I'm going to give you five words, as always, to look at. And so you're going to hear these words, the word covenant. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. Presence. It's somebody being around you. Moses, this great biblical figure. Flourishing, which is the idea of living really well and prospering, which is uh, be, to be successful. Those are the words that we're going to uh, talk about today. All right, let's look at Matthew 5 together. We'll have it on the screen. You can read it in your Bible. Beatitudes, here we go. Starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we come here today and we just acknowledge that you are here. But even more than that, Lord, we acknowledge that you are near us every day of our life, every moment of our life. And so, Lord, we gather today as people who love you. And will you let this time of community and worship be a refresher to our soul? That, Lord, that you would use this word to convict us and guide us and encourage us. That, Lord, you would use your word to enable us to keep each other encouraged, going. And God, we just come under you today. And we love you. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. So if we are going to understand the true purpose, the the message of these Beatitudes, and what they're really saying, we have to start by going back all the way to the person of Moses. That's a long way back. Now Moses is the most important Jewish prophet. He's the most important by far. Uh, 
We can read our scriptures and we know that it is Abraham that sort of establishes the the line of Judah. He's where all the descendants come from. But it is Moses that leads God's people out of the Exodus, out of Egypt in the Exodus, out away from bondage. It's Moses that teaches God's people what it is like to live as image bearers people who were created in God's image by giving them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. It was Moses that declared to God's people how to be set apart, how to live this life. It was Moses that declared the covenant in the desert to God's people. It was Moses that wrote the Torah, our first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses was the most important person at this time. He is still the most important person today to Judaism, and that is true of back then as well. In fact, when Jesus, and he's doing a miracle, and he feeds 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fishes, at the end of this miracle, there are people that come up to Jesus, and they sort of rejoice and celebrate Moses right in front of him. They hearken back to the time that Moses sort of provided manna, bread from heaven in the desert. They remembered and rejoiced in front of Jesus events that didn't happen to them, but events that their ancestors experienced some 1,500 years before Jesus was on the scene. So imagine how crazy it would be for you to do the most selfless thing that you ever could imagine doing, the full extent of your humility and goodwill, and the person that you're doing this for turns to you afterwards and speaks to you about their ancestor who did the very same thing, but better, some in 500 AD. That's how crazy this sort of celebration is, but that shows you how big a deal Moses is. And so it's important that we hear how Jesus responds to these people talking about Moses. In John 6, Jesus says these words. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the bread from heaven, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what Christ is saying here is that if you thought Moses was great, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't using that vernacular, But what he is saying is that you are giving credit, you are giving praise to the wrong source. God is the one that provided. God is the one that gave you manna. And here today in front of you, whether you realize this or not, the true bread of heaven has fallen. The true bread that we know is Christ. And so here's the picture that Jesus is painting to these people. He understands the reverence for Moses. And he is saying that I have come and I am better, I am greater than Moses. Jesus knows the importance of his status. He knows how uh, great this figure is. He's not diminishing him. He's not minimizing him. What he is saying is that a new and better Moses is here. And this is what God's people, those who followed Christ, believed. We know that because the author of Hebrew writes it this way. In Hebrews chapter 3, there it's written, therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The author of this text is referring to Moses as being faithful to serving God's house, but he refers to Jesus as the builder of that house. Moses was great, but Moses was just a man. Jesus is God. He's the builder. He is the greater Moses. And so here's why it's important that we connect Jesus and Moses. Moses brought to God's people a covenant, an agreement that said, I'm your God and you are my people, and this is how you are going to live in the world. This is how I want the world to know me. Here are these commands that you need to follow to show and be to the world who I am. Moses delivers this message on the side of a mountain, at the bottom of the mountain. And here we have Jesus standing on the side of a hill, at the bottom of the mountain, delivering a sermon that contains the contents of what will be God's new covenant with his people. And so the imagery is vastly important here. Matthew is the only gospel that uses this imagery of Jesus being the new Moses, this mosaic figure. And the reason that Matthew does this is he wants to convey to his readers the significance and scale of what Jesus has come to do. He's come to change everything. And so the overarching principle or purpose of the Sermon on the Mount that we take the Beatitudes is, is to bring the old law, the Mosaic law, into new covenant light. And so where Moses lays out these ten commands, like thou shall not, or thou shalt, thou shall not put other gods before me, thou shall not take on idols, thou shall not use the Lord's name in vain, don't neglect the Sabbath, honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't steal, don't uh, commit adultery, don't uh, take and uh, to speak false testimony against somebody, or, or don't covet other people's stuff. What Moses is doing is he's establishing the baseline of God's covenant with his people. The law, those Ten Commandments, give us the baseline to God's incorruptible, perfect character. That our God is perfect, He's holy, He's without defect, He's without fault. And in that, we understand, in part, what it means to be somebody created in the image of God, to be an image bearer of God, that we would do that in some way by doing these things and not doing these other things. And so in our covenant relationship with God, which you can understand covenant much in the way that you might understand marriage, it's two people giving themselves to one another. And so in this covenant, the law was the core of the people's responsibility. In committing themselves to God, they committed themselves to following his law with their whole hearts. But what they knew in part then, we know in full now. Because the law had a greater purpose. 
It was God's people coming into a relationship with him and being responsible for following his standard, his law, that they then would feel the burden or weight of their own inability to do the very things that they desired and said they would. The law actually shows us how fallen and unable we are to do with our actions what God has called us to do. The law reveals that we are unable to love and honor God in a way that he deserves. And so the covenant commands of God were perfect. They were right. They're unchangeable. But they actually become a curse on humanity. Because in them, it proves that we cannot keep them. Not even the first one. And so this is what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. Paul says this in Romans 5. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law is what, is what James or Paul is saying is, was used to reveal how sinful we really are, which leads us into deeper hope and anticipation for the one that God promised us that would come and he would crush the serpent, that he would deal with humanity's sin, that would redeem humanity and bring peace to us. The Lamb of God would come. And so when Jesus sits on this side of the mountain, and he delivers the message in the same way that Moses delivered his, we should take note that something earth-shattering is about to happen. God is about to do something very big. And you can hear it. You can hear it if you listen. You can hear it in the stark contrast between Jesus, the new and greater Moses, the builder himself against the Mosaic law. Specifically in the Ten Commandments, we hear almost this legal demand, this legal language, thou shall not or thou shall do this or don't do this. But what do we hear from Jesus? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can you hear the difference? Can you feel the difference between thou shalt not murder and blessed be the poor in spirit? So what happened in those 1,500 years that separated Moses and Jesus that changed this, that changed this tone of do this and don't do this to blessed be the poor. Because that message seems utterly different than the one that Moses gave. Now, certainly God didn't change. Certainly his law hasn't changed. It will never change. The law is perfect. It's holy. It's without defect. It is the very moral character of God. So if God didn't change and his law didn't change, what did change? What changed that made these legal demands change and into an invite for flourishing? What changed has everything to do with that word blessed? What changed has everything to do with that word blessed and what it really means? You know, today, if we are going to use the word blessed, how might we describe that? 
What would we say is a blessed life? That term often elicits the idea of one who has worldly success, that has found fortune and material prosperity. When you say bless you, or you pray blessings, or you shout God bless America, What you are invoking is the idea of God's favor, God's hand resting and remaining on someone or something in a way that they begin or continue to prosper. But prosper how? Prosper in power? Prosper in position? Prosper in health? Prosper in wealth? Prosper in material stuff? That's what our ideas of blessing is. And those are intertwined into how we live. And so today, if I would give you a homework assignment to rewrite the Beatitudes based upon your own definition of blessing, how do you think you would write them? How might these be written by us? How might these be compelled differently based upon our own understanding of what it means to be blessed. Well, I'm going to be that cool teacher. I'm not going to give you homework to take home. We're going to do it in class today. And so I asked some people, if we were going to rewrite the Beatitudes today, I'm not saying this is what we should do, okay? Don't, but if we're going to rewrite them today with our own definition of what it means to be blessed, what would they look like? What would they look like in our little kingdoms of me? So let's just walk this through this today. If there was a kingdom of me and I was trying to rewrite these beatitudes, we might write something like, we might say, blessed are the driven, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are decisive, that lead, that take action, take what they want. We might say, blessed are those who are True to themselves, for they will be happy. We might say, blessed are the comfortable, for they will never have to sacrifice. Maybe we say, or write, blessed are those who are right in their own minds, for they will never have to be wrong. I refuse to be humble because I would rather be right. We might write, blessed are the powerful, for they shall inherit everything. We might write, blessed are the loud, for their voice will be heard. Isn't that true? Seems like the one who speaks the loudest gets the attention or does the most craziest thing gets the news. Blessed, we might write this, blessed are those without hardship for they've done something right. Nothing bad's happened in my life, so I obviously have done something right. Or we might say this, blessed are the rich, for they will never want. We'll call these the secular beatitudes. And these are the attitudes and the understanding of our culture's definition of blessed. But if we're to be honest... These are the Beatitudes that we live our life by. If we are to be transparent and honest, these function much more like our Beatitudes 
than the one that Jesus gives us. And so we can say this about blessed. Blessed really means this, is that I'm happy, secure, with power, enough resources to cover the expenditures of my life that I'm without lacking. Whether we acknowledge it or not, that is how we live our life. So I want you to hear the bottom line of what that idea of blessing brings us. It is a state, it is a state where one never has to experience poverty, hardship, struggle, weakness, hunger, conflict, or rejection. That is our definition of blessed. And that is utterly gut-wrenching when I read the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. It is utterly gut-wrenching because if I'm honest, that's what I want. I want to be blessed like that. Despite what Jesus says, that's what I want. Why do you think Christians in this country have spent far more time fighting for the Ten Commandments to remain displayed in courthouses and schools, but yet no one is fighting and advocating in the same way for the Beatitudes to be arrayed? It's because we don't understand what it means to be blessed, and we have no idea what Jesus would mean when he said, blessed is the poor in spirit. We want blessing to be power and position. And instead of letting God's word and his church shape our worlds, we let the world shape God's word in the church. So we want churches and church leaders that are decisive and driven and loud and charismatic. We want the Bible to be my guide for prosperity, to reach my fullest potential. And so let me continue to this today. Blessing has absolutely nothing to do with wealth or material. It has nothing to do with lacking struggle or hardship. Blessing and blessed has nothing to do with your ability to earn anything. In fact, there isn't even a hint in the New Testament that connects blessed with any of those things. To be blessed is not fleeting. It doesn't go away. It's not here for a moment and gone the next. We live in this world fearful that I might get my blessing taken away from me or that I have to find my blessing or it might change in my life. We look at the term blessed almost like we look at our mutual funds and our stock profiles. It ebbs and flows and I just got to make sure that I'm in the blessing But the reason that the words of Moses in the covenant that he gives to his people on the side of Mount Sinai are different than the ones that Jesus brings to us on the side of this mountain is not the result of God changing, not the result of God's commands changing. It is the result of God's relationship with humanity changing because Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the builder. God himself, the bread of life, has entered into creation. He descended into the mess of our violence and our war, and he has rescued that humanity. It is our Old 
in our Old Testament that, that we have a covenant that is based upon the world coming to know the perfection and utter holiness of God through the written law. The legal commands of the Ten Commandments weren't given to give people freedom. They were given to show the magnitude of who God is and reveal to us how deeply and profoundly we need them. Those laws served a purpose. They served to protect God's people, preserve God's people, and purify people, God's people in that time. Why? To get us to Jesus. Because God's eyes were never about having relationship with us through law abiding, through doing this or doing that. God desired to be in relationship with us much in the way that he was in Eden. And so what it means to be blessed is that we have the presence of God. We are the house of God, as the author of Hebrews says, that God came, that he removed all the obstacles that separate you and me from him, and that he lives with us, his creation. To be blessed is to have the presence of God in our life. Nothing more. We are blessed that we have Jesus. We are blessed that he came. There is nothing else outside of that. All of God's blessings are always found within himself. They're not about his hands. They're not about his gifts. It's him. And so as we journey through the Beatitudes, it's important that we understand that the one who speaks such profound statements called the Beatitudes is also the bread of life. He is what truly satisfies. The one that came from heaven and gives life to the world. He has ushered in a kingdom, a covenant, where God again rests with his people, much in the way that he did in Eden. Not fully yet, but there through the Holy Spirit. To be blessed has nothing to do with class. It has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with position or prosperity. To be blessed is to be available to every man, woman, and child who in their lacking can see the beauty of God and what he brings to our life. The reason that Christ can say, blessed are the poor in spirit, the reason that he can say that is because it presumes that somebody has noticed their lacking and tasted the goodness of God. The reason why Christ can say, blessed are those who, are mourn, who mourn, is because the weight of the world has fallen on somebody and it is God that is near. The only reason that we can be meek, the only reason that we can pursue righteousness, the only reason that I can be pure in heart is because something else has done it for me and I can pursue him. It frees me up. He is all sufficient, all satisfying. He is my blessing. But it's a double blessing. Because as we sit in the presence of God, and that just simply means this, every moment of your life is holy. There's not a moment of your life that God isn't near you or with you. There's not a moment in your life that the kingdom of God is not present around you to live in that kingdom. Whether you're changing a diaper, whether you're talking to a friend, whether you're riding in a car, He's here, and he's with you. That is what it means to consider the presence of God our blessing. But they're a double blessing, because we'll find when we are near God, and we are satisfied in him, the things that we begin to do, like being poor in spirit, meek, pure in heart, they also are flourishing to our living. We get God, but we also get the profound 
lifestyle of somebody who's really thriving. That's what these Beatitudes are. And so in some way, the Beatitudes present a guide and a pledge for human flourishing. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to live on this earth with people who are full of humility and virtue? Like, our commutes would be way different. Our work environments would be way different. Our headlines would be different. Who doesn't want to live satisfied forever? That is what the presence of God brings. In the Beatitudes, Jesus promised to the world is what they truly want, what they truly hope for, and what is truly good, that, that, it's sat, that everything would be saturated in God's goodness and love. He offers a vision of total human flourishing. And so as we end, I just want to, as we prepare for this study, I just want to make two crucial notes, uh, errors that we sometimes make in interpreting uh, these Beatitudes. First, I, I want you to understand that these are not descriptors of the requirements to enter into the kingdom of God. These are not descriptors or requirements. When Jesus teaches this, he's teaching it to those who have already responded to the call to follow him. These are not requirements. The second is, is that these are not some idealistic description of a, the way life will function when God's kingdom is fully established on earth, when he returns. There's not a future version. Because in that day, like, there's no persecution for righteousness because God's victory would have prevailed. So know that these teachings are the values of God's kingdom in a world that is not fully transformed. And it is his presence that is our blessing. That God has removed every obstacle, every threshold between you and I, that through Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit can begin to work in our lives. Think about the terminology that Jesus brings to us and the, the terminology that Moses brings to us. I can check off keeping the Sabbath holy. I can do that. You know what I can't do? I can't check off meekness. And that is precisely the point. It's precisely the point. Because the real blessing is to be near God. And he is the one that begins to change our hearts. So look, I'm excited for the Beatitudes. I would challenge you in this series to just read these over and over again. Uh, we're going to bring out some digital prints through this series that help describe these things for you. But these are the Beatitudes that should serve as a function of our life. And we should be honest enough to realize that they're not. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we know that, Lord, even though we fall short in upholding this kind of lifestyle where, where we consider a blessing in being poor in spirit, we know that even in our lacking, Lord, that there is grace for us. And so, Lord, from this moment, will you birth from us, within us a new desire to, to, to just simply lay down our presumptions on what it means to be blessed but rather that, Lord, we would just be fully in love with you. <laughs> that we would, we would see the beauty of a God who came near us to deal with all of our sin and chaos and mess. 
and that we would realize that we were once far away from you, but through the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. You are the blessing. And so, Lord, move our hearts in this series. Move our hearts as we read this word. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.